Amen. Alrighty. Hey, how many guys besides Bobby are always looking for a new witnessing technique, new way to reach your community and whatever? Anybody? Praise God, at least one of you is interested. But uh, anyway, the rest of you, we'll keep praying for you. But listen to what this lady did. Kind of a cool technique. Okay, see if you want to try this every day uh, when you get out of your house. But there, there was this elderly Christian lady, and she was well known for her faith and her faith and boldness and in talking about it, right? And here's her routine. Every single day, she would stand on her front porch, and she would shout this, praise the Lord. Right there on the front porch, get out of the house, first thing out of there. You want to try that? Let's do it. Praise the Lord. All right, you're all doing it tomorrow. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so well, anyway, so next door to her, here was the problem, though. Next door to her lived an atheist, right? And he would get so angry at her every day, her proclamation, you know, she would praise the Lord, praise. He would shout back every single time, there ain't no Lord. And be going back and forth, right? Well, one day, hard times set in on this elderly lady, and, and she prayed to God, obviously, for some assistance. And so she stood on the front porch, and what she shout? Praise the Lord. And she goes, God, I need some food, and I'm having a hard time. Lord, please send me some groceries. Well, get this. The next morning, the lady goes out on her front porch, and she notices a big, giant, large bag of groceries. So she shouted, praise the Lord. And just then, her neighbor, the atheist guy, he jumps out in the bush. And he goes, ha, 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 I told you there ain't no Lord. I bought those groceries. God didn't. And the lady, she starts jumping up and down, clapping her hands, and she said, Praise the Lord. He not only sent me groceries, he made the devil pray for him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Devil paid for him. How many guys would say that lady's Christian faith paid off big time? You know what I'm saying, man? Just put it out there and see what God does, okay? She saw with her own eyes, listen, how God will use even an atheist to do his bidding, didn't she, okay? And folks, unfortunately, believe it or not, the reverse is happening to you and I as Christians today in the American church. The reverse of this, okay? Many Christians today have stopped having faith in God, and now they are doing the devil's bidding. How? By acting like these practical atheists, right? And it's going on for so long, now we've got a whole generation of churches full of these practical atheists, where people say, oh yeah, I believe in God, Woo, praise the Lord. But half the times, so what are you doing? With your lips and with your life, you're giving a different impression, as if God's not even there, okay? As we've been seeing, folks, not just detrimental in our walk with God, it keeps other people from believing in God because guess what? There are atheists next door. There are people who do not believe in God all around us and they're watching. They're watching us, okay? And so to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists but not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. Let's get back to who God is, hello from the Bible, and defeat this practical atheism, amen? And we've seen the first thing we need to know about God is this is not some pipe dream. This is not opiate for the masses. Hello, God is real, okay? We're here for a real reason, okay? The second thing, hello, the good news, he didn't come here, Jesus, for another dry, stale, boring, man-made religion. What did he come for? A personal, intimate relationship. God is intimate okay a relationship with the creator of the universe that's awesome and the third thing we saw hello he's wise why would you want to go anywhere else god never gets it wrong he knows all things stick to him what he says and you'll always be headed in the right direction the fourth thing we saw is he is sovereign which means he's in control of how many things all things and then he slaps on the romans 8 28 promise all things even christian even the hard times work out together over time for good absolutely wonderful news on the sovereignty of god then the last five times we saw the fifth thing about god is he is what he is powerful now here's where we're at with our study now we've already got to the point where several weeks we took a look at what the bible says god's power is like okay then we even encourage ourselves listen it's not just some theological treaties that you can look at from afar and answer those questions in sunday school class and amaze your friends or if you get on jeopardy you can get that double daily column and that 500 book 
It's not just about that. We saw, hey, and guess what? It's something that God, his power, understanding what it can do for you. Remember that? Supernatural strength, supernatural hope, supernatural courage. Now, here's the point we saw last week. Okay, that's cool. I get that, Pastor Billy. I get it what it's like. I get it what it can do for me. My problem is, why don't I experience it? And that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because you, you can know good Bible, good theology, but it's not a part of your life. Where's the disconnect going on? Well, that's where we started last week. We saw the main reason is because we don't love God like we used to. We don't love God like we... Let's just be honest. We don't love him. Oh, we start out with the bang. Woo-hoo! But somewhere along the line, you just shut that switch off, so to speak, spiritually. And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Well, well, how do you know? How do you know you're heading that direction? Well, let's be honest. We, we saw a couple different reasons there. And that's when we no longer place our faith in God and we no longer pray to God. Remember our text there with Ephesus? It says you're losing your first love. What was the issue that was going on there? Right? It wasn't just, oh, I just woke up one day. No, what, what was the Greek word? The Greek word is literally used elsewhere in the scripture Okay, for divorce. You woke up one day, you made a deliberate decision. No! I don't know what your rationale was. Maybe it was hard times. That's no excuse. Do you think it was hard for Jesus to go to the cross? I, I don't know what your rationale was. I don't know what your excuse was. Well, it just didn't work out the way I wanted to. Did you think that it was... Jesus, what do, you, what do you pray to the Father? God, hey, if there's another way, you know, let this cup pass, but not my way, not my will. Yours be done. Right? I don't know what your excuse was, I don't know what the rationale was, but believe it or not, that can happen. You could wake up one day and say, no, I'm not going to do it. That's what happened to the Ephesian church. And, 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 and stop kidding yourself. You are headed in that direction, Christian, if you no longer place your faith in God and you no longer pray to God. You are headed down that slippery slope. But we got a couple more we're going to take a look at today. The third sign to indicate, hey, that's you. Like it, lump it, leave it or not. You are starting to make that choice. No, I divorced my love for Jesus. He's not first anymore. It's when you no longer read the word of God. I love that picture. Isn't that awesome? That's a serious danger. If that's your Bible, you need help. Right? I like what one guy said. He's listen. He said, "There's so many uh, Christians. Their Bibles are so dusty that if everybody would blow off the dust of their Christian Bibles all at the same time across America, it'd be the biggest dust storm in history." <laughs> right? Another guy says, "Hey, listen. There's so much dust on Christian Bibles. You not only say read me, but you could write the word damnation in it. It's not a good sign, folks. Okay? And let's get back to why it's important as a Christian to read the Word of God. We, believe it or not, benefit from that. Okay? Open your Bibles to the Word of God, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Why do we do it? Because Pastor Billy said so. Well, hey, that gets you started, praise God. But that's not the motive. The motive uh, we're going to see uh, hopefully here in just a second. But Romans chapter 12, go ahead and turn there. And I want to explain the context. Now, the reason why I do that, because it's a biblical rule. This verse starts off with the words, therefore, and the biblical rule of interpretation is when you see therefore, you need to find out what therefore is therefore, which means grab the context. What's he reading up to? What's his, not to make this statement, but what's been leading up to? And as you turn there real quick, what's been leading up to that is Romans chapter one, where he says, listen, you have no excuse. Nobody's going to stand before God and says, I didn't have enough proof of your existence. You can't judge me. Excuse me. You have the light of creation. Chapter two, you've got the light of conscience. Why does mankind have this inability to know it's wrong to murder? It's wrong to steal. They've never seen the Bible. Where'd that come from? From a moral lawgiver. Strike number two. They got the direct claims of Christ, but we still don't respond. Jew or Gentile, Romans chapter three. Therefore, all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. There was no one righteous, no, not one. And so we are all due. We're headed straight to hell. Praise God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, 
Now you getting it? Tells us here's the logical response to being thankful for what we just went through quickly in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers. Now, notice that's it's intent. I urge you. It's not like, hey, let's, uh, let's launch another committee over this. Let's sit down and have a discussion over a couple of I urge you. This is important, man. Brothers, in view of what? God's mercy, what we just talked about for 11 chapters. To offer your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, and it's done with. Every single day when you get out of bed. You're, how many guys suck in air today? If you're not sure about the person next to you, just put your hand over their mouth. If you feel resistance, praise God they're alive. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, living sacrifices. Listen, why? Because that is holy, and that is what? Pleasing to God. How many of you guys want to please God? Praise God. Better throw hands on that one, okay? This is your, I love this, spiritual act of worship. Literally in the Greek, logikos, it's where we get the English word logical. This is your logical act of worship. To offer your bodies as a holy, daily, living sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Why? Because in view of his mercy, in view of all that he's done, it's a logical response. I deserve to die and go straight to hell and he did all this for me? Woo! God, what do you want? This is your life, not mine, man. What do you want me to do? Every day I get out of bed. It's not about me. It's about you, right? That's the logical response. That's actually what the word means there. So let's continue on. And so therefore, what do you do? How do you show that? Not just keeping your head. That's what I'm going to do. Well, here's how you show that. You demonstrate that logical response that you're thankful for his mercy. He says this, do not conform. What? Conform any longer to the pattern of what? This world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you do that with? The word of God. And why do you do that? Because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His what? His good will. His pleasing will. In fact, listen, his perfect will. And I don't have time to get into that, but that would be a great study in itself. But how many guys, again, would like to live a life, Christian, you're thankful for all what God's done. We're not going to, to hell. Praise God. We get the polar opposite. We're going to heaven in view of his mercy. How many guys want to live a life that says, thank you, God, and, and, and just by nature of just living that life, it's pleasing to God. How many guys would like to give that response back, right? Okay, and that's what he says there. And in fact, on top of that, how would you guys like to know God's will? I, I, I deal with this a lot sometimes with counseling, typically younger folks, sometimes older, but they always, oh, Pastor Billy, if I I knew what God's will is. I just want to know what he wants me to do with it. It's not that hard to read the Bible. It's all over. You, uh, uh, you witness, right? And, and you serve him. You do what he puts before you. And really what you're asking is the big enchilada. What's the thing, right? Well, just be faithful with the little things. He'll entrust you with much. Put, do what he puts before you every day. And he'll steer you where you need to go. If anybody wants you to know his will, it's God. But where do we find that will? Where do we find that good and that, that pleasing and that perfect will? Back to the Bible. So, so what's the logical response of his mercy? How do you please God? How do you discover his amazing will for you? The great works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. The scripture says you get into the word of God. And you allow the word of God to renew, to transform your mind. What's the danger? He put it up there before that. Don't be conformed. The word there is just like a lump of clay. Right? It's just like... Our brains are a lump of clay. Now, some of you don't get too excited about that because you're going to use that in the wrong way to your spouse or whatever, buddy. <laughs> you're gonna... <laughs> I know you're out there. But anyway, no, it's a lump of clay. 
And did you know that every day we get out of bed, something is forming us? Did you know that? Like in Lump It or Leave It, we are being conformed. We are being transformed. We're being renewed into something by something. That's what God says. are Are you appreciative for what I've done for you? In view of my mercy, I urge you, this is serious stuff. Because listen, we live in a world that's not neutral. We live in a world that's anti-God. We live in a world that, listen, the world, the enemy, the devil wants to mold you into his image, which is anti-God. Right? God says, no, 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 no. You transform your mind. You let me do the job. How? Right here. This is the mold procedure. And if you're not in this book, you're being molded. And if you're not in this book, that means the world, because you're being molded every day, and so am I. Then the world is molding you. You are coming out looking like the world, not Jesus Christ. No wonder he said, I urge you. This is serious stuff. Every day, you've got to make that deliberate choice. No, 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 no. This is the only book, I've said it before, on the planet that can unbrainwash us or unmold us from the lies of this wicked world system. And yet, what does the world say? What does the enemy say about this book? This is a book that is there to exist to brainwash you. Remember that? I used to say that as a non-Christian, right? But this is the only book that can mold you into the image of Christ, to renew your mind, to transform. And that's a good thing, okay? The Bible is the only book that does that for you and I, okay? But here's our problem. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but uh, we love talking about the Bible, don't we? Oh, Bible. This, Bible, that. How's the acronym go? B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> right? I mean, that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you sing the Bible song with you at the VBS and all this stuff. And that's good stuff, right? And Bible this, we're going to read. We, we love talking about the Bible. We believe in the Bible, right? Inerrancy, man. There's no errors. It's totally from God. This is not a book whooped up by man. We, we go into apologetics of that. We, we own several Bibles, man. I got, I got this Bible. I got the new camo Bible with this cover, man. That's me. No, I got the pink. No, I don't have the pink Bible. Girls have pink Bibles. You know, <laughs> we got this Bible. I got this one. I put this in the car. I got this one. Yeah, I got the office Bible. I've got this Bible. You know what our problem is? We don't read it. We talk about it. We encourage it. We believe in it, man. We got all kinds of... We don't like it, lump it, leave it or not. And you know what that means? God's not conforming you. You're not submitting to the daily procedure of allowing him to conform you because you are being conformed into something. And guess what? You keep that over time, you don't look like Jesus, you look like the world. And also, it's a sign that you're losing your first love. I shouldn't have to preach a sermon on getting into the Bible. That's basic Christianity. When you love somebody, you want to get to know them. And that's the only book on the planet that enables us to truly understand who God is and his fullness and all the great things he's done for us. Nobody should have to twist your arm, pull your teeth to get you to get in the Bible. That's a sign that you just, that's natural love. But if you're not doing that, it's a sign you're being tricked. Somebody is seducing you and you're maybe one step away of doing the Ephesians switch. I'm officially not going to do it now. And you make that deliberate divorce choice, okay? And so here's what happens, folks. This is what's going on over time, you know, because it's a little here, a little there. Right? It doesn't always happen like, here comes a giant demon. Don't read the Bible. I will get you. Usually doesn't happen that way. Although demons are real. It's just a little bit here. Right? 
You know, it's the old, it's the old uh, axiom. I remember in uh, seminary, Dr. Couch, he used to fly planes. And he'd talk about the importance of staying on target. Don't veer from your target. And he'd say that, listen, if, you take, if you're just 1%, when you take off from one airport and you go 500 miles to the next airport, and you're just one degree off, it doesn't sound like much. And that's how you rationalize. Ah, no big. But you extrapolate that over time and distance, you don't even come clear, close to your target. And it's the same thing here. We think, oh, she said, okay, I'll just skip today. I just don't even... She said, oh, yeah, I know it's been about a week or so. But, you know, it's just been busy. You're missing your target. And every single day you're doing that, somebody else other than God is conforming you. wonder why you're not looking like Christ. You're not speaking like Christ. You're not experiencing the benefits of Christ. What's going on? You're being seduced away from him. Okay? Now, what we do is instead... Uh, we come up with one of the lamest excuses I've ever heard in my life. It's the same thing with prayer we saw last week if you were here. And it goes, now, I know, I know we don't say this. It's that weird church down south, right? Let's, let's distance ourselves, shall we? Uh, and it, the excuse goes like this. I just don't have time to read the Bible. Have you heard that? Isn't that crazy? Oh, let's pray for those folks. Same thing with prayer. I don't have time for prayer. It's not that we don't have time to read the Bible. We just don't take the time to read the Bible. How, how do I know? Well, let's just take a look at our lives. Let's take a look at the actual day of the average American even Christian. Instead of starting the day off with the Word of God, we immerse ourselves with the Word of man. That's more important than God. Excuse, and listen, instead of spiritual exercise, oh boy, we make a commitment to physical exercise. Right? Oh, because that's the big thing, right? We, we don't have a, a problem finding time for all kinds of things. Again, whether it's physical exercise, whether it's the latest food diet, whatever, we don't bat an eye spending hours doing that research and doing what it takes to whip bodies into shape and wearing those baggy clothes to hide all that hard work and whatever. L listen, Barner Research shows, you think I'm kidding, Barner Research shows that 91% of adults, 91% of adults in America consider good physical health as the top priority in life, making it the number one highest rated priority of all time. This is what everybody wants more than anything in America, 91%. If there's 100 of us in here today, only 90 of us are saying, no, I put God first. But 91% said, no, who cares about spiritual exercise? I want those tight abs. <sighs> Got to have my biceps on top of my biceps, right? Hey, that almost sounded like Sean Connery, right? Get some... But anyway, but... <laughs> And folks, please, hey, listen, we've been, how many times have we been down this route? Right, let, let's balance it out. I am not against physical exercise. I'm not against uh, a well-balanced diet. I've said it before, I'll say it again. To me, the ultimate well-balanced diet is a cheeseburger in both hands, right? It's, it's, it works out pretty good, right? And, 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 and hey, listen, I'm not against exercise. It's just that my philosophy, I think, is pretty simple and effective. No pain, hello, no pain, right, uh, is with that. And I love long walks. I love long walks, especially when they're taken by people who annoy me. And, uh, and, and I don't know about you guys, but this works 100% of the time. Pay attention. This could save your life. Whenever I feel like exercising, here's what I do. I just lie down for a little while, and then eventually the feeling passes. It goes away, and it's, it's fine. And, and frankly, if you're honest with yourself, you guys know me. I get enough exercise pushing my luck, you know, and the crazy things I do and, and stuff. And I believe getting into shape. Nobody can tell me I don't believe in getting in shape. It's just that round is a shape, and so mission accomplished him. And so, in fact, I heard one time this guy, he joined a health club. He spent 400 bucks, man. He didn't lose a single pound. And he said, apparently the trick is you got to show up, okay? But my, here's my point in all seriousness, okay? We are getting off-balanced Christian 
when it comes to putting physical care above spiritual care, which involves submitting your mind every day to be conformed to the Word of God. And this is a danger that Paul warned to Timothy. Here's what he says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7-8. through 8. Spend your time, Christian, and energy in what? Training yourself for gigantic triceps. No, spiritual fitness, okay? Physical exercise, of course, don't throw the baby out the bathwater. Physical exercise has got some value, but spiritual exercise is much more important. Why? Because it promises a reward both in this life and the next, right? It's not going to happen. Folks, how many guys realize that when you're lying there dead in your coffin, you're not going to be able to flex your abs, Let's be honest, it's just, and if you think you are, we'll talk later after service. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> Dead people do nothing. That should be a bumper sticker, okay? But this is our problem. We've allowed ourselves, listen, Christian, to become more consumed with external care instead of internal care. And again, I'm not against exercising and trying to eat right, okay? Please be responsible. But listen, here's the point. Even these healthy things can become spiritually unhealthy if they steal away our time from God. The enemy cannot take away our salvation, praise God, amen? But listen, he can steal your time, and you can rationalize it. And you come up with that excuse, well, I just ain't got time. Yes, you do. You spend it on non-spiritual things. And it's a sign that you're not putting God first. He's starting to go way down the list. And that's a sign you're losing his first love. Let's ask ourselves these questions. Is a fat bagel more important than the Bible? Is Richard Simmons more important than the Savior? You better say no. <laughs> Is a seriously set of tight abs more important than the Word of God? Then why would we spend the majority of our time on physical exercise instead of spiritual exercise? Listen, who's the real source of power here? You wonder why you don't experience it? It's not that we don't have time to read the Bible. We don't take the time read the Bible. We waste our time on non-spiritual things. Okay, now, just to make sure we realize, hey, guess what? When you conform, when you start out young, and you just keep it up day in, day out, even as an adult, every single day, listen, God transforms your mind. He transforms your character. And God does great things with you. And believe it or not, that used to be true of the leaders of our country. Listen to their attitude towards daily conforming themselves, renewing their minds with the Word of God. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe that what? The Bible is the best Gift God has ever given to man. Why? Because all the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Okay? W. Gladstone said, I've known 95 of the world's greatest men in my time, and of these, 87 were followers of what? Followers of the Bible. George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Okay? Daniel Webster, if there is anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents. Why? For instilling within me an early love to go to the gym. Oh, I'm sorry. The scriptures. Uh, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our, listen, country will go on prospering and to prosper. But Christian, American, if we and our posterity neglect its instructions and authority from the Bible, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. You tell me that's not what's happening today. John Ruskin said, whatever merit there is in anything that I've written, it is simply due to the fact that when I was a child, my mother daily made me pump iron and eat healthy. And Oh, I'm sorry. 
uh, read to me a part of the Bible and daily made me learn a part of it by heart. W.H. Seward said, The whole hope of human progress is suspended on the ever-growing influence of the Bible. Patrick Henry said, The Bible is worth all other books which have ever been printed. Oh, you'll read this book. You'll read that newspaper. You'll flip on the news here. You'll listen to the word of man. But you won't crack open the Bible. Something's wrong, folks. Okay, Horace Greeley said, it is impossible to enslave mentally or socially a what? A Bible-reading people. Why? Because that's where you find out. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork for human freedom. No wonder they want to take it away because they want to take us back to slavery. That's where our freedom comes from. It comes from God. Andrew Jackson said, that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. Robert E. Lee said, in all my perplexities and distresses, the Bible has never failed to give me light, and it's never failed to give me strength. Where did it from? the Bible. Folks, these are some of the greatest leaders our country has ever had. And to me, they not only got, listen, the power to form our great country, the U.S. of A, but they got the power to transform their lives every single day into the great men and leaders that they were. It came from the Bible. Their words, not mine. Folks, this is what we're missing out, but this is the good news. Listen, reading the Bible doesn't work just for, you know, early American history. It works for us today. But I'm telling you, as long as you and I refuse to read the Bible and come up with all these crazy excuses as if God's not watching, then all we're doing is inviting a lot of unnecessary pain and heartache. Bible reading has to become a daily precedent. It has to come first, not last, if we're going to get back on track. you got to have that attitude. Listen, I don't care what's going on. Nobody and no thing is going to keep me today away from getting into the Bible. Like this guy, true story, my all-time favorite. There was a guy in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion, and his face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both of his hands. And what made it worse is he had just become a new Christian, and one of his great disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible, Right? But then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. And so hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. But much to his dismay, listen, he discovered that the nerve endings had also been destroyed by the explosion. Man. So one day, though, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, listen, true story, his tongue, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters and he could feel them with his tongue. Listen. And then he, in a flash, he realized, wait a second, I can read the Bible using my tongue. And in a short amount of time, the man had already listened, read through the Bible four times with his tongue. I know Christians never once read through the Bible. I ain't got time to read. And you got your hands, you got your eyes, you got everything. Four times with his tongue. Folks, if anybody's got excuses, man, it's got to be that guy. But he hung. It's, it, it, he, I, I know what guy, this is what happened. He went to a church service and he felt so guilty after this sermon. <laughs> he said, oh, man, I got to figure it out, man. I got I to get back on chat. What's it? Oh, 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 and was his life perfect after becoming a Christian? No hard times, no bad. He was thankful for being saved from eternal damnation in hell. Oh, God, conforming to the image of Christ. Oh, God, that only comes from your word. I don't care what I got to do. I'll use my tongue to get the job done because I love you. 
You see, when you love him, it's not hard. It's just a way of life. And he figured out how to do it with his tongue. Nobody and no thing was going to keep him from reaching God. Why? Because he loved God. Oh, but that's nothing. Cross this one. Watch what this guy did just to get his hands on the Bible, what he sacrificed, what he went through to encourage himself with the word of God in the worst of times. Watch this. for telling others about Jesus. I don't know why they didn't shoot me. The interrogations are the only time I am out of solitary. I am losing hope and fear I have been forgotten. I recite Bible verses to myself, but the words are getting harder and harder to remember. I can handle the torture, the starvation, but I desperately need my Bible. Every day I pray, over and over, for God to give me a Bible. Now I have my chance. The interrogations have ended, and the guards trust me to go into the jungle to gather firewood. Working as fast as I can, I will collect two days' worth of firewood. I'll bring one bundle back. I'll leave the second bundle in the woods. This is what I need to do. It is very risky, but God is answering my prayer. I will risk everything to have a Bible. I don't want to leave my wife, but I have to or she will be in danger. Leaving her is so hard. 
God has answered my prayer. I have a Bible, but I must be careful. They found my Bible, but I would not give up. I will bring in more Bibles. I will read God's Word every chance I get. Really, I'm just, I'm going through hard times. I just things are just overwhelming me. I just I can't I can't even get my mind straight. I'm just it's just it's overwhelming. I just I don't I don't have the power. Where's where, where's the strength? I I just <sighs> maybe it's time to get back to the Word of God. He del- he could have escaped. Do you realize that? He deliberately stayed there and waited for God to release him from the authorities to protect his wife. What gave him the strength to endure 10 more years in prison? I could deal with the torture. I could deal with the beatings. I could deal with the starvation. Just give me a Bible. Where's the strength gone? Why is life overwhelming you? Why are the problems you can't take it? Ah! It's time to get back in the word of God. That's where the supernatural strength comes from. If we don't see, if we see a Bible that has fallen apart, it probably belongs to somebody who's not. I think you saw that last week if you're paying attention. Ron Waxer's up here. And he's just trying to open his Bible. What's happening? Page all now. You know why? Because Ron Waxter reads his Bible. He's tearing it up. And if you know anything about Ron Waxter, sorry to point you out, Ron. Hope I'm not embarrassing you, but makes a good point. He's a great example. He's a great spiritual leader here at Sunrise. Because that's a man who's in the Word of God. Don't you want that same strength? Don't you want that same wisdom? Get back to the word of God. Stop making excuses. Folks, it's pretty simple. And it's not that hard to figure out. If you refuse to read the words of a supernatural God, don't expect to experience his supernatural power. It's that simple. But not only that, it's a sign like it, lump it, believe it or not. You're one click away from divorcing your first love from Jesus. One click away. You need to turn around. Real quick, the fourth one, the fourth sign to indicate that we're heading that horrible direction, we're a click away from divorcing Jesus in our heart, is we're no longer obedient to God. No. I'm not going to do it. No. I know it's what he says. I know the Bible. No. 
You ever seen Christians do that? Yeah, not a good place to be in. Now, let's remind ourselves, folks, of what it's, boil it all down. Why are we still here? If you can only remember two things about life, this is what I love that Solomon, man, he just cuts to the chase, right? You don't have to remember 15 steps, how to be, you know, just these two things, right? Here's what it's all about. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Here's my final conclusion. Fear God and what? Obey his commands. For this is the duty of every person. Why? Because guess who's watching? God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing he sees in the dark, whether good or bad. He's watching the whole time. Folks, this is what, to me, the Christian life is all about. It's right here in a text. You don't need to go to a seminar. You don't need to purchase a book. God's made it simple. He's narrowed it down to two things. You want to have a successful Christian life? Fear God. Do what he says. Why? Because all of his commands are for our detriment. He's just trying to ruin our fun. I'll never get to experience fun if I follow. Are you kidding me? That's what the enemy says. Every single command from God is for our good. And the reason why there's so many commands is because there's so much sin. His commands are his gates to keep us in him, with him, protected from the dangers of this world. Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. He loves us, so he says, stay here. Don't go past this. Here no more. Right here. No. Why? Because he loves us. Fear God. Obey his commands. The best possible life, this side of heaven. Not a perfect life. But it keeps us in line with God. But here's our problem. That's why the first, it didn't just say obey God. It said fear God. Right Now, we don't fear in a judicial sense as in, oh, no, I'm going to lose myself. No. Praise God. The wrath of God has been satisfied through the cross of Christ. Amen. We never have to fear ever, ever, ever again going to hell. Amen. That's not what he's talking about. It's a relational fear. Right. When you get out of line and you do something wrong, what's your dad going to do? <sighs> Spanky wanky. Right. And he hasn't even got to the spanking yet, and you just see the look in your eyes and what comes in your heart. Right? That's not a bad fear. That's a healthy fear. That keeps you from going outside the fence. Right? Or even, you haven't got that far, but you're thinking about it. And all of a sudden, you get a vision of dad's eyes in your head. It keeps you, right? So fear can be good. But here's the problem. Over time, Christian, we lose our fear of God. And we start being more afraid of other things. That trick us into going outside his fence, his parameters. Listen, we're more afraid of man than our maker. We're more afraid of our friends and what they might think. We're more afraid of what our family might say. We're more afraid, listen, of our employer than our creator. And here's the problem. When the fear of man supersedes the fear of God, guess what happens? You are no longer obedient to God. Listen, there's a Christianese phrase. You hardly ever hear this one. You used to hear all kinds of messages preached to the church on this word. It's called backslide. When's the last time you heard a sermon on backsliding, let alone hell, wrath, God's sin, okay? You hear them here, but typically in the American church, it's like a lost word, backslide. The dangers of backsliding. Backsliding, all that is, is when you stop obeying God. You're going backwards. You're sliding backwards. That's not a good thing. It leads to when you lose the fear of God, it starts to create a backsliding situation. Now, the problem... With that, is again, you get outside of God's parameters and you backslide and you backslide and you hop the fence. Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. 
And folks, we know that with other natural boundaries that even man puts up. Did you know that man has things that says, no, stop, right? Oh, I think I'll just go through that stop sign because I'm backsliding. Try that next time with the police officer. You'll find out it ain't going to work, right? But even our world has signs that say, stop, don't go there, don't do that. Why? Because it's for our good. Let me give you one example. This is an unfortunate true story. One winter, a ski resort in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado, posted signs, posted signs there instructing the skiers to stay off of a certain slope. And the signs were really large, very distinct, old giant letters, all caps, danger, out of bounds, stay away. Couldn't miss it. But true story, in spite of the warning, several skiers went into the area, and what happened? A half-mile-wide avalanche buried four of them beneath tons of snow and rock. Here's the point they say. The tragedy never would have happened if the signs had simply been heeded. It's the same thing spiritually Christian with God's commands. He asks us to be obedient, not because he's trying to ruin our fun. He's not being a big old meanie. His commands are all, every single one of them, for our good and protection. And how sad it is that many Christians are walking around in life, listen, suffering an avalanche of problems. They just, I just keep being buried under tons of pain. Why? Because you, you, you lost your fear of God. You could give a rip about obeying him. Who cares? Hey, everybody's doing that. No big deal. What? God's not doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. And then the enemy comes in, even though you did it, and he'll even start whispering this in your head. Yeah, see, what kind of a God is that? That he'd allow that to happen. And see, I thought he loved you. God didn't do it. You did it. God did love you. He loved you enough to put up the parameters, say stop. But oh no, you. it's self-inflicted pain. And you start living like that when you start to backslide. Listen, you cannot backslide without suffering. Backsliding leads to suffering. And so we got to get back to that tender heart. we got to get back to understanding that God's commands are for good. Every single one of them. He's not trying to ruin our fun. He's trying to help us. He's trying to protect us. He loves us. We have to get back to, no, i got to be obedient to God. Not just because I have to outshine Ron Wagster and everybody else. Because I have to... Aren't you tired yet? Aren't you tired of the avalanche of problems? Aren't you tired of all the pain? Aren't you tired of all the heartaches that you yourself? Maybe that's the first step. You got to admit you're the one doing it. Aren't you tired of it? Then get back on the other side of the fence and say, uh-uh, I ain't doing that again. I'm sticking in the Father's house. I'm staying in his fence, man. This is good living here. That's the heart we need to get back. But again, this is the same premise. It's not that hard to figure out. If you refuse to obey a supernatural God, then don't expect to experience his supernatural power. You cannot backslide without suffering. But again, it's another sign. You're one click away. Yeah. Oh, I know all the right stuff. I'm, I'm Ephesus part two. I got good theology, man. I'll whoop you on a test. I got good doctrine, man. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you exactly. I, I will even point out by name who's the false teacher's. But you know what? Yet I have this against you. You lost your first love. What's the word? You made a deliberate choice one day. Uh-uh. I'm not going to do it. I'm just now, I'm going to go through the motions. Now, I'm just going to punch in my religious time clock. And it breaks God's heart. 
When we believe, listen, what Ecclesiastes is saying. Remember the other part of that text, you fear God keep his commandments? Because he will judge everything. That means he's seen every secret. God is watching us. Did you know that? But that doesn't have to become a thing. It can become a motivating thing. If you love him. It's, it's, it's like this story. Watch the transformation of this boy acknowledging his father, where he was at. Oh, this is cool. True story. Some years ago at Columbia University, they had a great football coach by the name of Lou Little. I've never heard of him. And uh, one day, Lou had this boy tryout for a varsity team, and he really wasn't very good. But Lou noticed there was something unique about this young man, and he wasn't good enough to make the team, and, but he had this contagious enthusiasm, just real, you know. And so he, Lou thought, he says, man, he, he's never going to be able to play. But you know what? I'm going to leave him on the team just to encourage the other folks there. Well, as the season went on, Lou began to develop a tremendous admiration and love for this boy. And one of the things that especially impressed him was the manner in which this boy obviously cared for his father. You see, whenever his father would come to the college for a visit, the boy and his father would always be seen, listen, walking together arm in arm, an obvious indication of the exceptional bond of love between them. And they could always be seen on Sunday going to and fro uh, to church services. Obviously, theirs was a deep and mutually shared Christian faith. But true story, one day a telephone call came to Coach Little, and he was informed that the boy's father had just passed away. And would he be the one to tell the boy? Well, with a heavy heart, Lou informed the boy of his father's death, and immediately he left to go home for the funeral. But a few days later, though, the boy, he returns to campus, and only two days, true story, before the biggest game of the season. And, and, and Lou went to him, and he says, son, listen, is there, is there anything I could do for you? Is there anything at all? Listen. To the coach's astonishment, the boy said, Coach, let me start the game on Saturday. The coach was kind of taken back. He thought, I can't let him start. He's not good enough. It's the big game. But he remembered his promise to help, and he says, All right, all right, you can start the game. But he thought to himself, Listen, I'll just leave him in for a couple plays and then take him right back out. Well, the big day of the game arrived, and to everyone's surprise, the coach started this boy who had never played a game the whole season. But imagine even the coach's surprise when on the very first play from the scrimmage, the boy was the one who single-handedly made a tackle through the opposing team for a loss. In fact, he played so good that Lou left him in for the entire game. And listen, the boy eventually led his team to victory, and he was voted the outstanding player of the game. And when the game was over, Lou, he approaches the boy and he says, Son, what got into you today? Listen to this. Remember? Coach, do you remember that when my father would come here and visit me at school and we would spend a lot of time together walking arm in arm around the campus? And Coach Little said, yeah, I remember. And the boy continued, you see, you see, Coach, my father and I shared a secret that nobody here knew anything about. You see, my father was blind. And Coach, today was the first time he ever got to see me play. Because his father was watching him. Not because he had to but because he loved him. And he wanted his dad to be proud of his son. It wouldn't change the love of his father towards his son, but it's just a natural thing, right? You, you, want, your, you want your dad to be proud of you. But what made it special was this is technically from heaven. Now he's got eyesight. This is the first time his dad could see him. Overnight changed that boy's attitude, behavior. Listen, performance. Now, Christians, we're not performing for God, but we're playing another game. It's called the game of life. And when we forget that God is watching us, 
Not as some big giant ogre who's out to smash us. He's watching us. If you love him, don't you want to make him proud, so to speak? Don't you want to please him? Don't you want to say, God, watch this? Not me, by the power of your spirit. He gets to credit all of it. But don't you want to say, God, thank you for saving me from eternal damnation from hell. And what do you want me to do? I, I, I have faith in you. I, I, I pray. I communicate to you. And I, I read the word. I'm studying the playbook. And, and whatever you say, I'm going to do it. God, I want this life to be something significant for you. You run the game of life for him. But how many times do we go through life and we act like God's not watching us from above? And he is. Christian, this is what we got to get back to. This is what Solomon's saying. Hey, hey, you want to remember two things? Fear God and keep his commandments. Because he sees everything, even the secret. But it doesn't have to be a creepy thing if you simply love him. You love him. And you run hard for him. Because you want him to be excited about your time here on earth. Let's be those Christians. Let's be that church. Let's get rid of this practical atheism thing. That when we run the game of life, what we say, what we do, it shows people around us that God is real. He, he's intimate. He's wise. He's sovereign. He's powerful. And they can have what we're demonstrating to them. A loving relationship. Having a fantastic time. Let's get back our first love. Now, you might be asking that question. Pastor Billy, that is me. I didn't realize it. I've lost my first love for Jesus. Can I get it back? Yes. How do I get it back? That's next week. Make sure you're here. We'll go back to the word of God. God is so gracious to us. He tells us step by step what to do to get back on track for him. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. 
uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. 
if he would grant them what's called a pardon. Out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.